Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. So help me out here. I'm seeing at least three groups of people who hate democracy, just generally, anywhere in the world hate democracy. And it appears to me that they are using this new, let's call it a secular religion or even a pseudo-religion of QAnon as one of the ways, one of multiple ways to accomplish their goal of kneecapping democracy in the United States. Because if you can take down democracy in the United States, you can take it down anywhere in the world. This, this is, uh, you know, I, I wrote about this this morning on uh, uh, HartmanReport.com. Uh, the headline is, Could QAnon's Reign Mean the End Times for Democracy? And these three groups that I'm seeing, well, actually, let me, let me back up a little bit. Um, Voltaire famously said, those who can make you believe absurdities can cause you can also you know cause you to commit atrocities. I'm paraphrasing uh, from memory, but um, you know th- essentially, and and he was talking about religion, specifically about religion. In fact, uh, you know I've got the whole uh, the whole rest of his quote, um, you know buried here in my article. Here he says, if if the God-given understanding of your mind did not resist a demand to believe what is impossible, then you will not resist a demand to do wrong to that God-given sense of justice in your heart. As soon as one faculty of your soul has been dominated, other faculties will follow as well. And from this derives all those crimes of religion which have overrun the world. And I mean, this is this is scary stuff, right? With the with the QAnon stuff, you've got on on CNN the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention um, was uh, talking with uh, uh, you know one of the one of the CNN personalities, and said that the that one of the major struggles that religious leaders are having in the United States right now is is trying to pull their congregants back from QAnon. The, you know, the headline in the New York Times, QAnon now as popular in U.S. as some major religions. There was a PRRI poll that found one-sixth of Americans agree with the statement that the government, the media, and the financial world in the U.S. are controlled by a group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles right? The Democrats drinking children's blood, all this kind of stuff. One-sixth of Americans believe this. Now, virtually 100% of that one-sixth are Republicans. And Republicans represent about one-quarter of Americans, which means that more than half of Republicans must believe this, if I'm doing the math in my head right. So the three groups that I'm seeing that are promoting, or at least fine with this QAnon thing. And, and please notice, I, to the best of my knowledge, no Republicans have come out and just said, hey, this stuff is craziness. But the three groups, I, I refer to them as the uh, philosophers, the, uh, the thieving scoundrels, and the foreign enemies. The philosophers are the, 
the basically the libertarians and there's a bunch of right-wing billionaires and they fund a bunch of organizations that promote um, you know stuff like you know they're going after for example HR1 you can't have democracy in America are you kidding what have the federal government guarantee democracy no no the individual states have to be able to choose their voters so you've got these, you know, the, the, the philosopher kings, the billionaires, the people who, you know, they, 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 they kind of echo the sentiment of some of the founders, actually, that, you know, you just can't trust the rabble, was a phrase, uh, John, John Adams' phrase, the rabble. Too much democracy is a bad thing. They refer to, in fact, libertarians and objectivists, you ask them, what is democracy? They'll tell you it's mob rule. Can't trust it. So you've got that group. Then you got the thieving scoundrels, right? Basically, these giant corporations across America that are just sick and tired of being regulated and taxed. They want to be able to dump all the poison into the air and the water that they want. They don't want to have to make sure that your food is safe. They don't want to have to make sure the toys aren't going to choke kids. They, you know, on and on it goes, right? And they certainly don't want to pay any taxes. And many of them don't because they bought so many legislators. So you've got the thieving scoundrels, and they're in with, you know, they're fine with QAnon. And then you've got foreign governments that are not democratic, that are autocratic, or even outright fascistic, or outright, I'm not sure exactly what you would call the government of, uh, of China. You know, they call themselves communists, but, um, and, and not to specifically pick on them, because apparently they, they were held back from inserting themselves into the 2020 election. Uh, but Russia was in there, according to our intelligence agencies, and also in 2016, and, and probably several other countries as well. So you've got foreign autocrats, basically, who don't like democracy, and they're doing what they can to bring it down. And one of the tools that they're using to bring it down is, 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 is QAnon. And this is, this is like dangerous stuff. I mean, the, the, here we have three groups of people. And like I said, you know, if you can think of others, let me know. But here we have three groups of people who explicitly have an interest in not having democracy. I, I suppose I could add to that a fourth group, which is now the Republican Party, institutionally. You have, you have uh, new voting restrictions that have, been, that have been passed now in 12 states, making it harder to vote, dialing back on democracy. In Arizona, in Florida, in Georgia, in Iowa, I mean, you know, just in Michigan, in New Hampshire, Texas. Well, Texas, they, they, they didn't success. They have passed some smaller laws. But the big one where, hey, the election judges can just decide to throw out ballots from communities that they think are filled with fraud. We don't have to count those ballots. Are you kidding? So here we have these, these groups, and we have this religion, this QAnon religion. And I don't have an easy solution for this. I mean, have you ever tried to talk somebody out of a religion? There was a, you know, when I was a teenager, I had a, a few years in my life where, where, uh, where I was just anti-religion and I would try to talk people out of being religious. And it was like, oh, it's a really difficult thing to do. Have you had any success in talking anybody out of QAnon? I mean, this, this is tearing families apart. But here we have the Republican Party, along with these groups, the, 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 the so-called philosophers, the, the, the people who think that democracy was just never a good idea, Never should have tried it. And, and the thieves and the, foreign, and the foreign enemies of democracy, basically, you know, the foreign autocrats. Democracy is a really a relatively fragile thing. I mean, it's, it, democracy is the norm in indigenous and aboriginal societies. It's been the norm by which human society has organized itself for 100,000 years at least. And you see it in aboriginal and indigenous societies all over the world. But post-agricultural revolution, the last 10,000 years, it has only appeared three times. 3,000 years ago in Greece, 2,000 years ago in Rome, and now 240 years ago here in North America. And it's now spread to about a fifth of the planet. About half the countries, uh, half the planet's uh, countries call themselves democratic, small d democratic.
democracies. But it only lasted a couple of generations in Greece. It only lasted a couple of generations in Rome. I'm, I'm frankly very concerned about this, and I'm, and I'm concerned that what we're seeing now is these three different groups starting to pull together to take down democracy in the United States. And the only solution that I have is to wake people the hell up and say, you know, if we want democracy, we're gonna have to fight for it. And now we find ourselves fighting against one of our own political parties for democracy, for God's sake. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So we'll uh, continue that conversation and pick up your thoughts on that right after this. Stick around. And welcome back. Tom in Huntington Beach, California. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I got a parcel solution for you, and it's just another way of driving that final wooden stake through uh, Trump's art and getting getting him off the pulpit. And uh, I wanted to know if you were aware of it, and if you aren't, I'll make you aware of it. He had an executive order, 13848, dated 9-12-2018, on election security in foreign interference. It's only two pages long, but basically... The three high points are Section 7B says any conspiracy to violate any prohibitions above, which is violating the integrity or casting doubt on the integrity of elections. 8C is any U.S. person, citizen. And 8F says any person with the purpose of eroding confidence in federal elections may lose all the money they have. This is his own executive order that he signed in 2018, not thinking it may come back and haunt him. And I think it would be, oh, the problem with it, it needs a direct referral from Congress to Homeland Security or the Justice Department to start the investigation. Well, also, uh, executive orders can't have criminal penalties associated with them. That requires law. Right. But it, but it has a forfeiture of fundage. And it states it in the executive order that they can lose all their money. It can be frozen, their assets. Hmm. So I brought. I just wanted to bring that to your attention. And last week I mentioned to you, you said you'd love to see a RICO Act by Vance. Starting in his investigation, he announced it over the weekend, that they're going to look at the RICO Act to put him away for two to 25 years, the people in the organization. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's... Yeah, and you, I, yeah, you mentioned it last week and said, I'd love to see that investigation open. So I thought I'd make you aware they are opening that along with Vance's rest of his investigation. They're going RICO on it. Yeah, I'd love to see it, too. And and yeah, I, I have heard that. I, I haven't seen any explicit confirmation of it, but I've certainly heard a lot of rumors about it. Tom, thank you for that. And uh, and I appreciate it. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with where this goes. Greg in Detroit. Hey, Greg, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just had, had a question um, in, ter- in terms of uh, uh, get, getting people more involved in and noticing what's going on in terms of why does Congress always have such huge bills that they try to pass through? I mean, like if, if they just had, like like we were saying before, like you had said before, you have a two-line bill and it just says corporations are not people, money is not speech. What Democrat isn't going to vote for that? I mean, just a simple bill like that, or you just say Medicare has the ability to negotiate drug prices, one sentence bill, pass that through. And then you you build momentum. People say, hey, they just fixed the problem with Medicare drug prices. They just fixed the problem with, you know, Mm -hmm. then you get um, momentum going. I don't know why they have to have these huge, huge bills all the time with uh, everybody keeps adding stuff on. It just seems like if they could... Or, or you say election day is a national holiday, you know, right. one word bill, you know, one sentence bill passed, boom, and it's a national holiday. 
Wouldn't you think that uh, the Democrats would all vote for something like that? Here's what's happened, Greg. Congress has become so dysfunctional that the only way you can pass any kind of legislation at all is to attach it to something that absolutely must pass, like the budget or the military appropriations bill. And so what they have to do is cram all kinds of stuff into that must-pass legislation because it's the vehicle that'll get it through. And this has to do with Republican obstructionism. Greg, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. It's great to hear from you. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And uh, let's get into a conversation about, you know, the history of race in America, the history of democracy in this country and around the world, the people who are working to destroy democracy and this new bizarre religion that seems to be associated with them. Nolan in St. Charles, Illinois. Hey, Nolan, what's on your mind? Good day, Tom. Actually, my first uh, protest in college my freshman year was an apartheid protest. I really never even heard of the word. Is that during the 80s? Having... No, 70s. Wow. Because, you know, Reagan Reagan was just a, an aggressive supporter of apartheid South Africa. Pardon, pardon the interruption. No, continue. No, no worries. But um, having spent a lot of my summers, I grew up in California, but spent a lot of summers in Arkansas and Texas, I saw both ends of the spectrum of how people of color were, were treated. And it wasn't always perfect in California, but it was certainly different. So I'm wondering about the education of like what went on in Tulsa and many other examples you spoke of earlier, how that was, how apartheid was taught in the schools over the last 20 or so years in South Africa, uh, as opposed to the way it was before apartheid and how the similarities might be here in the United States going forward. I've never seen a South African history textbook, you know, for high school, but what we do know from a distance and I've never been in that country. But what we do know from a distance is that the South Africans, when the apartheid government fell, confronted their history head on. I mean, you know, they did with their truth and reconciliation commissions and putting the country back together and just a whole series of programs. They did essentially what reconstruction was supposed to do, which was, mm -hmm. you know, kind of level a playing field and, and bring everybody into the game. I mean, South Africa still has challenges. But I would be astonished if they were not teaching the history, you know, the honest history of South Africa in their schools right now, because, you know, it's, it's, it's been lived so recently. But we have whitewashed our history like nobody's business. I mean, it's... I, and I would suggest that educators maybe look at them as an example to see, hey, did they do it right? How intensely did they do it? You know, and, and improve upon it if we can. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Nolan, I'll, in fact, that's... Uh, Thank you for the idea. I'm going to go digging into that and see what I can learn about it. Thank you, Nolan. Ron in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Hey, Ron, what's on your mind today? Tom, QAnon is, is, is similar, in my uh, estimation, to Protocols of Elder, which was cooked up by a czarist uh, agent or prince at that time to promote anti-Semitism within Russia and Eastern Europe, where they had many similar uh, fallacies where Jewish people were making Christian children's blood to make their matzah. They controlled all the wealth. And uh, they were uh, used as scapegoats, which allowed programs to be uh, pr carried out. And it's very similar to what the United States uh, did with uh, black people, where they, uh, not necessarily, well, they, yeah, blaming them for their, their economic uh, prosperity. But in Oklahoma, you had Tulsa, but there were eight other programs carried out that same year in Oklahoma, and this is according to the Oklahoma Historical Society, and they called them programs, okay? But these were going on all over the South and in the North, too. So, but the thing is, you ask how to combat it. That's the thing, okay? And there's really, because we're, we're, we're facing fascism, plain and simple. Yeah. And well, you we know, it blew to, up the, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, uh, which was, you know, one of, mm -hmm. you're right, it was, it was created by the, by the military or the intelligence service for the Tsar in Russia in, what, 1912 or something like that, 1920, sometime around, the, and, uh, or mm -hmm. must have been pre-1920 because it was before the Tsar fell. And, and it was basically to distract the people from how the Tsar was ripping them all off, you know, by, mm -hmm. <laughs> make the Jews. So uh, what blew that up was us defeating Hitler. That's what it took. 
It, it took a world war to stop that. But back to you, Ron. Yeah, but, but the problem with, yeah, we won the war just like we won the war against the Confederates, okay, right. the, uh, the supremacists. But in World War II, we, we, we took all the information by General Gellin, who was in, t- in charge of the Gestapo intelligence, and he told our, our, our intelligence, OSS, I'll give you all the information, but you have to take in all my people to work for you, and we're going to start the Cold War. So they lost the war, but they won the war because the ho- their whole programs were being carried out, just like in the South. They lost on the battlefield, but they won in the political realm. And, and to this day, Tom, you asked a question last week. Do, do they want slavery back? And you chuckled. Yeah, they do, Tom. Oh, I know. They do. I know. They, they just want it in, in a slightly different incarnation. And, and frankly, slavery never left this country. The mm-hmm. 13th Amendment makes it very clear that slavery is not over in the United States. You can hold people in enslavement, according to the 13th Amendment, if they have been convicted of a crime. That's all you have to do. The black population of Florida, for example, is 17% of the state. 50% of the prisoners in Florida are black. And so Florida, of course, has laws that say that if you've ever been in jail, you can never again vote. <laughs> Gee, how convenient is that, right? I mean, this, this is the, the we're, we're, yes, you know, we're doing everything we can to try to, to uh, basically rig democracy for basically straight white men. I, I don't know how to say it beyond that. Thank you for all you do, too. Yeah, thank you, Ron. Good talking with you. Clarence in Rancho Mirage, California. Hey, Clarence, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Uh, great to be with you. I just want to, number one, thank you for you know shedding light on so many great subjects like this one. The issue for me is the issue of education. And I'm a professor at a, at a prominent university here, and one of the things that I teach the social justice, and the, the very first day I asked everyone was the date of the Declaration of Independence. And it, it's amazing to me how many people cannot tell me what that date is. They're not connecting the dots to the something they celebrate every year right. to July what's 4th, really yeah. going on. And, and, and so it, it's, uh, it's one of those things where education is really the thing that's going to have to stem the tide of this hate and this, this destruction of democracy. The average person just doesn't understand it. Well, see, so I see, Clarence, I see all this stuff tied together. You know, I, the, the, the yeah. racism, the hatred of democracy, all of this stuff. And then to, to get into the education, then you've got Bill Bennett. This is the guy that Reagan put in charge of the education department who stopped, basically, federal support yeah. for teaching civics. This is what Bill Bennett, yeah. our secretary of education in the 80s during the Reagan administration, had to publicly say. But I, I do know that it's true that if you wanted to reduce crime, you could, if that were your sole purpose, you could abort every black baby in this country and your crime rate would go down. That would be an impossible, ridiculous, and morally reprehensible thing to do. But your crime rate would go down. So, I mean, here we are, Clarence. Yes, yes. And, and you know, interesting, you, you, you played that clip and, and also that uh, this issue of the government taking that kind of a stand. If you... Remember, one, uh, one of Trump's things was to stop teaching critical race theory and other types oh, it's, there, of... Oh, uh, there's, there's a dozen states right now that are putting that into law. You may not talk about this. Forgive my interruption. No, no, uh, you're, you're, just, you're just singing my song. Uh, is, there a, is there a place uh, either on your, your website or somewhere where what you talk about, like as you described, where that is readily available to people, can you put that out there? Daily Kos, it's called the True Blue Report, which is one of the posters over there by the Daily Kos staff, and it's called Learning the Real History of This Country Could, Would Break You. It's up right now, dailykos.com. And, uh, you know, also, Sue puts links to everything I talk about on my program every single day, dozens and dozens of links into our free newsletter that goes out every day. You can sign up for over at TomHartman.com. Not not wanting to sound like a plug for the newsletter, but if you ever want to find a link to anything I've discussed, just grab that. It's over and it's easy to get. Thank you, Clarence. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And we'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment sticker sometimes louise and i just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving 
Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is It Came From Something Awful, How a Toxic Troll Army Accidentally Memed Donald Trump Into Office by Dale Byrne. This is from the introduction. On a warm summer day some 13 years ago, I found myself in the frigid air of Baltimore's convention center attending Octacon, a gathering of otaku superfans of Japanese media, mainly anime and manga. I didn't particularly like anime. I felt I was a little too old for the event. I'd attended a few times when I was in high school in the late 90s. Back then, it had been held in a set of hotel conference rooms darkened to play obscure animation taped off Japanese TV. But in recent years, the crowds had grown big enough to require the city's largest venue. And the event had evolved, too, into an elaborate festival where otherwise isolated suburban kids came to bond over their favorite TV shows. And he goes through a fairly lengthy description of the convention center and whatnot. And he says, for this reason, entering into the cool, safe bubble of Octacon, where adolescents attempted to commune with the comforting kid's fantasy on the other side of the screen, felt slightly unsettling to me, though I couldn't put my finger on why. And at a certain point, wandering the triangle-shaped halls lined with wooden ships trapped in bottles, handing out flyers for my webcomic to teens dressed as rubber monsters, things started to get weird. Not for me, then. I hardly knew what I was seeing then. But for all of us, now. Years later, I realized I had become an indifferent witness to a turning point in history, a vast secret hinge upon which world events would swing. What did I see? Well, more of the same. Kids in costumes. At the front of one room, there was a 15-year-old boy with a sharp chin, golden locks, and a baseball cap going through a PowerPoint presentation that was a mixture of web statistics and lewd jokes mocking various types of cartoon pornography. Excuse me. These included many fan-drawn images of the boy himself, depicted as a curvaceous pink cartoon cat girl wearing white panties. As the increasingly silly Photoshop drawings slid by, the raucous crowd shouted words of encouragement, gearing up for the late-night techno dance party that would follow. Despite all the adulation, the boy seemed slightly ill at ease. The cap was slung a little too low, as if to disguise his eyes, and he let his friends at the table do most of the talking. This was one of the first meetings of the now infamous online message board, 4chan.org. The boy in the cap was the site's founder, Christopher Moot Pohl. In October 2003, bored and in need of porno, he had programmed 4chan on a whim to trade pictures of anime girls with his friends, but soon discovered thousands and eventually millions of other people wanted to use it. It seems ridiculous to say the site was important. But even more ridiculous, it's as important as already documented in the history books. In Alt-America, David Neewert wrote that the Nazi-worshipping alt-right began with 4chan, where people were talking online about Japanese anime. Few of these books, including Neewert's, offer an explanation for how this could have possibly happened. 
how we got from uh, anime otaku to the anime Nazis of 2016 and onward. How all of this resulted in internet weirdos marching with tiki torches and similar fantasy-themed costumes in Charlottesville in 2017. Of course, the kids in that room weren't Nazis, far from it. The last thing they wanted to do was discuss politics. And at that moment, I certainly didn't feel as though I was present for some great turning point in history. In fact, it seemed like I was confronting yet another moment of anti-history as the vast landscape of the American suburban nowhere land was imported into the convention center, a place that, in its expanse of smooth, clean carpeting, model ships, and big tumbling geometric shapes, felt a little like an infinite kid's rec room. The teens weren't trying to make a mark in the world. They were trying to escape from it by pantomiming discarded scraps of fiction. However, looking back, it all reads like some crazy premonition. As the microphone was passed from rubber dinosaur to trench coat mafia kid to see which to ask their curly-headed leader questions, the teens slash monsters kept debating and joking about things called memes and trolls. In the mid-2000s, these terms were meaningless to anyone outside the room. But later they broke out of that room and saturated every inch of the world. And stranger still, from 2016 onward, memes and trolls became central concepts that obsessed political commentators. Almost overnight, the terms invaded the domain of world leaders and redefined the contest between them. Now there are Russian trolls, Facebook trolls, and of course, the original 4chan trolls, all jiggling through the ether. Back then, I was surprised to find that I knew what these terms meant. Before I encountered 4chan at Octacon, the site constantly popped up in my webcomics referral logs, the data that shows where people came from when they visit your site. When 4chan began, it wasn't all that different from other online message boards. It was a place to post content and talk to people on the Internet. At the time, it imported a few innovations from Japanese sites, which accounted for some of its popularity. It was easy to post images. And following a Japanese custom, it didn't require the user to sign up for an account. Anyone could post under a default name, which eventually became the name of all 4chan users, Anonymous. But this hardly explained why it ballooned so rapidly, why almost as soon as it appeared, people began gathering to celebrate it. The book, It Came From Something Awful by Dale Byrne. And welcome back. Rex in Hawaii. Hey, Rex, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Yeah, aloha, Tom. Uh, I was curious, and this may be already in consideration, but uh, I'm wondering why, I mean, Republicans wanted to keep Guantanamo open. Uh, Democrats wanted to close it um, during the Obama administration. And uh, I'm wondering now maybe we know why that they wanted to keep it open for the insurrection seditionists uh, that attacked on January 6th. Mm -hmm. uh, be a good place for them. If their religion was Muslim, they'd be there. But uh, well, I, I agree with that point, Rex. And I and, and this is the the thought experiment that I encourage every white American to engage in is, how, or every American period. But I, I think it's the white Americans who are oblivious to this stuff. Is just imagine. I mean, just kind of run that movie in your head of the January sixth attack. Only make all those faces black people. How would this country have reacted? as opposed to the way that we did react. Would they have just walked away, as those guys did? I mean, you know, it's just like, yeah. Uh, with regard to Guantanamo, I think what the Republicans were doing with Gitmo is they were just, they were just trying to play the, you know, we're the tough guys card. And, and it was really rather bizarre to say that, you know, our, our, our uh, civilian criminal justice system can't deal with these people. What was really going on was that Bush and Cheney, that the, the majority of the people in Guantanamo were not criminals they were not bad guys they were they were they were offering a $5000 bounty for people to turn in their neighbors this is you know during you know, like in the second third fourth month of the invasion of iraq they were offering a $5000 bounty in a country where the average annual income is $780 a year so would you turn in one of your neighbors and say this guy's a terrorist for a 7 year salary I mean, you don't have to work yeah. for the next seven years. And that's how we ended up with all these people in Gitmo and in dark sites and being tortured. And it was all BS. And they couldn't 
take these people out of Guantanamo and put them into the American criminal justice system because they weren't guilty of anything. But by the time they've been in Guantanamo for a couple of years and had the crap tortured out of them, at that point, you know, we were starting to think, eh, these people might be a little pissed off at us. Maybe we don't want to let them loose back in their own countries, you know? And so now they're, they're slowly trying to take them out and set, set them up, you know, with, in, in third countries. You know, some of the, you know, I, I think that uh, Qatar has taken a couple of them. I think the UAE has taken a couple of them. Um, but, uh, that, you know, it was as, as much to cover up the crimes of the, of the, of the uh, Bush-Cheney administration as anything, in, mm-hmm. in, in my humble opinion, Rex. I, you know, I really do you think, think the, power, the powers that be would, would consider Guantanamo as a, as a place to imprison them? Uh, no, I, and, and, I don't think that's, and I don't think that's Donald right, and I, and I don't think that we should be... I mean, perhaps the people who were conspiring, the people who were at the January 5th meeting at the Trump Hotel, I would like to know uh, who, who all those people were. Seth Abramson's doing some great reporting on this. I would like to know who those people were and what was going on, and if they were ringleaders, then you know, serious prison time, not necessarily Gitmo, in fact, not Gitmo, but a lot of the people who stormed the Capitol were just your average white racist foot soldiers. And I don't mean just, right? (laughs) But my point is relative to the leadership, the leadership needs to be absolutely gone after. The foot soldiers, you know, they need the year in jail, five years in jail, 10 years in jail, whatever they're getting. The first guy was just convicted to one year in prison, you know, these are grunts. These are, these are many of them idiots. Uh, Rex, thank you. Tom Harbin here with you, Alejandro in Miami, Florida. Hey, Alejandro. Hello, Tom. Hey. Yes, I just wanted to comment that you just said, you know, a brief mention about Florida, my state, about the felon population. I didn't know, you know, 50 percent of, like you said, of the prison population is black. I was very, you know, disturbed by that, but I guess not too surprised. But I just wanted to offer a quick correction to what you said, because, yes, it used to be the case in Florida, like many other states in the South, that, yes, once you get a felony, you don't you lose your right to vote until a clemency board you know, gives you the right to vote. And of course, in Florida is very notoriously not going to give much of the people clemency and restore their voting rights. And right. while we had to pass a constitutional amendment two years ago, well, over two years ago in 2018, to override that. Um, and now it's not part of our Article 6 Florida Constitution and in Florida statutes 98.0751. But I just wanted to give you a brief overview of what that means. So pretty much, like, you have to have the, under, under the law now, Ex-felons have to have their rights to vote restored unless they committed a felony, unless they committed pretty much a murder or sexual offense. Everyone else, like pretty much one. Or unless they owe money to the government. That's where I was going to get it. Exactly. And, and, but that's the thing. That was, but that was an interpretation that Ron DeSantis with the legislature to go around the Constitution said, no, 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 the terms of the sentence means you have to pay all the court fines and fees. Right. So then in my opinion and i and i think other you know um you know lawyers argue this too that it's kind of like a a felon rights version of a poll tax because now oh you have to pay a fine yep. you have to pay all your fines before or tax before you can vote which i think is illegal and unconstitutional and that was being fought over in the courts and then going back and forth you know on the courts. so you know obviously i think the 11th judicial circuit said it's not like a poll tax or it's not illegal obviously i disagree with that because you know requiring the felons to pay these fines and fees is an impediment to their right because because sometimes the, the state of Florida does not organize with how you pay your fines and fees because you could be owing five different entities and you don't know who you owe and they they're, they're, they don't have their stuff together, Tom. So in other words, they're like trying to figure out who do I owe the money to? Oh, I think you owe these people $500 and these other people are thousands and something dollars. So the point is to create such a hassle that they don't even know how much they owe in order to fix the fine problem. Right. So I just think that it's just interesting how the governor and the Republican legislature, again, like this is why we have to pass constitutional amendments in Florida, Tom, just like we do in medical marijuana. I, because I agree. Legislation- I agree. And let's make it very clear, Alejandro, this was not something that the Republican-controlled Florida House or Florida Senate voted on or passed. In fact, they didn't even want to talk about it. This was something that a group of activists in Florida got on the ballot 
to amend the Constitution, and through a ballot initiative, they amended the Constitution that way. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe that to be that's the case. Correct. That's exactly. Yeah. We have to do exactly that constitutional amendment process because that's the only way to get major legislation that is popular to pass. Uh, of course, the same thing with the minimum wage law that was just passed recently. That was the only way it was going to pass in Florida to get $15 an hour. Right. There you go. Mm -hmm. Alejandro, i got to move along, but thank you for the call, and thanks for uh, straightening, you know, correcting my misstatement. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hey, hi. Yeah, I had been doing a study of the draft riots or Black Massacre. It was a combination of both in New York. And it's, it, there was an interesting background because New York City, half the exports were cotton. So they had great ties to the South. The mayor even at one point asked the uh, Board of Aldermen to declare independence from Albany and Washington. And oh, the mayor of New South. York wanted to, this is in my book on uh, guns and the Second Amendment, the mayor of New York mm -hmm wanted to join the Confederacy because New York was right. making so much money off the cotton trade, he wanted to secede from the Union. He openly proposed right. that. Uh, right. Yeah, but you wanted to talk about the draft riots, so go for it, Bill. Yeah, it's alluded to, you can see some of it in the Gangs of New York movie, but, and like all these massacres, there's no known quantity of people who died. It could be a thousand, it could be a hundred. Right. But it started out as a draft riot because um, the, 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 the Gettysburg the Union one there and Vicksburg and the word got to New York and they were hiring Irish people right off the boat to go fight. And if you were uh, had three hundred dollars, you didn't have to fight. Right. You so could buy was, your way uh, out. Yeah. There was anger against that. And that started the riot. But it turned into a race massacre when they started going to the homes of people who were abolitionists. They went to the Negro orphanage in New York, and they were about let's, to burn let's it down. Let's say and, black. I realized uh, that word was used back then, but yeah, got it, Bill. Right. But the first licensed black doctor in the U.S. held the mob at bay as they got the kids out the back. Hmm. But they also went on to go after the newspapers. They burned down the Tribune, and the New York Times had Gatling guns on it to hold off the crowds. Amazing. And, uh, and there was the Union League Club, which actually made them whole afterwards and started the Red Cross and gave these black victims money, homes, and jobs. That's an amazing story. Bill, thank you for that. Thank you very much. And for doing it in such a tight fashion, because we were running out of time. Thank you, Bill. And welcome back. George in Belfair, Washington. Hey, George, what's on your, uh, thank you for watching YouTube, by the way. What's on your mind? Well, hey, Tom, first time, long time, and thank great you. show. And yes, sir, um, you know, regarding, I'm sorry, off topic, but regarding Flynn, wasn't oil going out the back door of Turkey for a while? I don't know. Uh, selling to the Russians, uh, they caught them or something. Oh, or from somewhere. Turkey to the Russians. Oh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I you know there was a lot of skeezy stuff going on with uh, you know Iranian oil and, but I I just I, I'm sorry I don't recall off the top of my head. Yes, sir. Well, I thought I call to let you know I live rurally and uh, we own guns out here, and they all have a purpose. Uh, everything I own uh, has three others that uh, uh, for hunting, well, shotgun, you know, for bird and twenty two for game and. A pistol, you know, but this uh, AR I had uh, was beautiful, finished out. I sold the damn thing because I realized, what am I going to do with this thing? Had it, had it shoot a hundred squirrels, uh, you know, right. thousand grouse. I bought a box of ammo and blew it up and went, oh my God, this thing's overpowering. Yeah. So I believe they belong in the military. Um, you can cut I trees down mine, with them, George. You know, it's a matter of preference, and we are in open carry state, but we, you know, we're sensible and never do it. Yeah. It's rarely seen unless there's trouble. Or so, unless know, there's a political sort of demonstration. Make my point quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can cut trees down with those, <laughs> those like, at least small trees. <laughs> so you sold, so you, you sold the air 15 because, uh, Hey, I can't use this for anything. It's just uh, why, why bother? What am I going to do with it? Yeah. Where am I going to hunt that many things yeah and um yeah. you know the reason yeah and squirrels don't guns. line themselves up you know 100 across <laughs> it's uh, unlike uh, unlike armies right i mean because yeah. again this is this is a weapon of war um and excellent. like biden you know, 
Uh, Biden says, you know, with a shotgun, you can literally blow a tree apart. I mean, so let's be honest, uh, you know, plenty of protection with what we have and yeah. use for everything that I have. Yeah, you're right. And they like make axes trouble. and chainsaws for trees, actually, and uh, that work probably much better. George. Oh, God bless you and your work. Thank yeah. you, Tom. Thank you, George. And back at you. Jerry in uh, Tomo, Wisconsin. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind? Yeah, Tom, uh, great show. Uh, I, I was just wondering if anybody knew if guys like uh, that Trader Flynn gets a, a pension every month from us. I don't know if Retired lost his military, military pension when he was convicted or not, and I don't know if the pardon restored it or not. Yeah, I'm I'd assuming like he, he lost it when he became a convicted felon, but I may be wrong. I, I just, you know, it's... I'm not a Mike Flynn scholar. <laughs> yeah, I, I think all those guys that were in the insurrection that were military or that were, you know, retired military or the, or the police type thing, they should. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. They all lose their pension. You hit them in a pocketbook. Yeah, I'm you know. with you. Um, That's a lesson. Yeah, and and it will it will discourage uh, you know future behavior of the same type. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah I yeah. totally get it. But Jerry, I I don't know if Mike Flynn has lost his pension, and I've not really seen much discussion about that on Twitter and on the other message boards. Uh, you know that are discussing on a regular basis every day. There's some you know new January sixth insurrectionist who's been arrested by the FBI, and I've I've not seen much discussion of that either. So if you find out, Jerry, okay. let me know, would you? Yes, thank you. Okay, great. Good. And, and if I find out first, I'll let you know. Great talking with you. Jerry, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Tom Harmon here with you. Jeremy in Douglas, Arizona. Hey, Jeremy, what's up? Hey, Tom. I was just curious. Do you remember uh, your interview with um, Benjamin Teitelbaum, the author of War for Eternity? Oh, man. I don't remember any details of it. I, you know, you, you want to refresh my memory here, Jeremy? Yeah. So um, you interviewed this guy um, early last year. The book he wrote, War for Eternity, was a deep dive into Steve Bannon traditionalism in the rise of the populist right, right. a global power broker type of uh, expose. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, we, we focus a lot on, you know, the, the current actors, Trump, Flynn, Manafort, you know, who have you. But the focus on Bannon and this, um, this idea of traditionalism, capital T, but doesn't seem to be covered. This was, this was really. something Scalia was into, wasn't it? A lot of these guys are into it's, it. It's, and, um, and it's kind of part of the Opus Dei ethos. Yeah. Um, uh, the family the, mm -hmm. you know, fa falls into that as well. So yeah. it's, not, um, it, it's not Christianity. It's, it's not any particular religion. It's more of a, an ideology based on the, the demagogue, the strongman. 
Yeah. Um, well, and also the idea that, you know, we always did it this way, we should always do it this way. You know, let's let's maintain the hierarchy with men in charge over women and white people in charge over people of color and right, and, the, and let's yeah, use that right let's use that whole mm -hmm. hierarchy bring back the caste system essentially to stabilize society there it's always i mean this was goldwater's big thing you know having a stable society stability is more important than anything else yeah and part of that is i mean they go back to you know socrates mm -hmm. and the, the idea that democracy is not necessarily a great idea if you're leaving it up to the uneducated masses so right. the rabble as john wanna, adams called us right right take that power back so i guess um it, it, would, would you be considerate of you know getting a hold of title bomb and um trying to get an interview with him and get his input um you know what he sees happening a, a year you know, from the last This is the, the Warford attorney guy. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not yeah. opposed to it at all, Jeremy. I, I think that we're seeing the fruit of it right now. I think we saw the fruit of it on January 6th, and I think that there, uh, and uh, I am, what, one, of the th one of the questions, if I was running Congress, if I was running the, you know, what ends up being the House or Senate Select Committee on January 6th, uh, one of the questions that I would be asking is, were foreign governments or foreign actors, because this uh, anti-democracy movement is not limited to foreign governments. It is right, no. heavily endorsed and supported by, by oligarchs, both in the United States and outside All of the United the States, billionaires yeah. around the world, who want to see yeah. oligarchy rather than democracy. They, they literally think democracy is a bad idea. And right. so the, the question is, to what extent was that January 6th event in part organized, uh, you know, arguably probably on social media by, you know, oligarchs in the United States or, or otherwise outside the country? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be a great question for him because he's got a very, very, very unique perspective yeah. and insight into into all this stuff. And yeah. I, I would love to ask him that. Um, I just, yeah, I don't have a, a way to contact him. Yeah, well, I see Sean making notes here, so we'll probably get back into it. So, title bomb war for, awesome. for eternity. Jeremy, I got to run, but thank you very much for the call. Appreciate it. Lily in Sacramento. Hey, Lily, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I have a question for you about Manchin. Joe Manchin, yeah. Senator from West Virginia. Yes. Do you think that he is a stealth Republican? No. I think, though, that being a graduate and alumni of ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which was put into place by the Koch Network and arguably the Koch brothers themselves, either he has embraced their ideology or he is somehow enthralled to them, whether it's financial or whether it's ideological or whether it's just a, a continuing connection um, because the stuff that he's doing right now and the things he's been objecting to and the language he's been using is very, very similar to the emails that I'm getting at least five times a week from FreedomWorks and some of the other Koch-created uh, uh, right-wing think tanks. And, you know, this is a concerted message that's coming out of the right-wing billionaire, libertarian billionaire class in America. And uh, so, you know, whether Manchin is doing this because there's something in it for him or whether it's doing it because they just, you know, he became a true believer during his time in ALEC. I don't know. But there's got to be a, more of a story there than just Joe Manchin idiot or Joe Manchin secret Republican. Hmm. Well, I, I wrote him an email, you know, basically asking him, you know, why he thought it was ethical to sacrifice our country and our democracy for the premise of a filibuster, you know? Yeah, I'm guessing you did not get an answer. <laughs> you got it. Of course, you don't live in West Virginia. I mean, if you did live in West Virginia, you might have gotten an answer. One of, you know, my editor, uh, uh, Troy Miller, and colleague, lives in West Virginia. I should ask Troy that question. Uh, in fact, I will. Lily, thank you for the call. Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from the Tom Hartman Reader, which is excerpts from other books that I've written. This excerpt is from Threshold. We're on page 239. It starts out with, I went to Corral, Peru. It's the first mother city, the first 
original city that has ever been discovered intact. It's 5,000 years old. It has been buried for 4,000 years. It was just excavated in the last decade. I went down to Peru. We did our radio show from there. And I met with Dr. Ruth Shady, who is the anthropologist and archaeologist who's running this. And she said, well, as we sat and ate, I asked her what was the most significant fact about Corral. Here, she said, the civilization was different, contrasting the Corral of 5,000 years ago with the city-states that were emerging in Egypt, India, and Asia at that time. The focus of the culture here was different. When this civilization was formed here, peace was very important. There was no war. She paused and looked at me with a glint in her eye. Why? Why was there no war? She asked as if quizzing me. It turns out they found this city that had been there for a thousand years, and there wasn't a single instrument of war or violence anywhere in the city. Music, dancing, flutes, amphitheaters, no war. So then we jump to page 244. Are we innately evil or good, warlike or peaceful? In 1634, in his book Leviathan, Thomas Hobbes stated our culture's assumption of the essentially evil nature of humans, saying that life without the iron fist of church or state would be war of every man against every man, resulting in a society where life is poor, nasty, brutish, and short. A generation later, John Jacques Rousseau and John Locke challenged Hobbes, suggesting that evidence from tribes being discovered across Africa and the Americas by European explorers demonstrated that instead... The natural state of humankind was good, egalitarian, and peaceful. The thinking of Rousseau and Locke explicitly and overtly influenced the founders of the United States, particularly Thomas Jefferson, who saw verification in it in his own contact with Native Americans. Thus began America as an egalitarian experiment, an experiment that has been expanded and developed by nearly a hundred other nations in the world that claim democracy particularly the countries of Northern Europe, where once feared and warlike people, most notably the Vikings of Norway and Sweden, are now among the happiest and most peaceful and self-sufficient people in the world. Yet the Hobbeses of the world are currently ascendant in terms of both war on humans and war on the environment. But what should be done? As I said in Leonardo DiCaprio's environmental documentary, The Eleventh Hour, the problem is not a problem of technology. The problem is not a problem of too much carbon dioxide. The problem is not a problem of global warming. The problem is not a problem of waste. All of those things are symptoms of the problem. The problem is the way that we are thinking. The problem is fundamentally a cultural problem. It's at the level of our culture that this illness is happening. In my books, I've shared stories from all around the world of cultures that have matured, awakened, and found ways to live in peace, harmony, and ecological balance, and the fate of others that have not. Some are pre-city, aboriginal, and tribal people. Some are modern communities. Some are fully developed city-states moving quickly in the direction of peace. All offer us a new vision of how life can be in a world where the core assumptions of modern culture are challenged and modified. This is not a radical or new age or easily dismissed concept. It started with the Enlightenment of the 17th century. Its first experiment was the founding of the United States in the 18th century. Flawed, but a great experiment. It flowered throughout the world throughout the 19th century as nation after nation flipped from warrior king states to democracies. It found global acceptance in the 20th century with the foundation of the United Nations, the first international organization whose single explicit purpose was to create, promote, and maintain worldwide peace. And now in the 21st century, as war against both humans and against nature, is increasingly being viewed with horror by people around the world, movements are springing up all over the planet to reject the immature cultural paradigms of the past and move us into a post-carbon, post-warfare, egalitarian, and peaceful world where there's room for both humans and for all other life. Then we start a chapter, Why and When Did War Begin? If it's true, as scientists from Peter Farb to Rianne Eisler to Ruth Shady point out, that a prime differentiator between war societies and peaceful societies is the role of power relationships between men and women, the question is raised, why and when does war begin and how is it related to the relationship between the sexes? Most preliterate cultures, from those in the Arctic to those in the southernmost tips of South America and Africa, were largely peaceful before contact with technology and our culture. While there was conflict, and often violent conflict, it rarely reached the proportions of organized, sustained, legally sanctioned mass murder that we today refer to as war. 
as anthropologist Peter Farb has documented, some Native American societies, for example, the Shoshone, didn't even have a word for war in their vocabulary. Others used organized games to resolve conflicts. Many theories have been put forward for how and why the warrior mentality took over. And then it goes on to whether this started with animal husbandry or whether it started with agriculture, or where did war begin, and, and some interesting stuff. So it's in the Tom Hartman Reader. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.